morning, everybody. We are in a series called Life's Timeline. And in this series, we're actually talking about Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, we've just been talking about life. What happens in life and, and where do we go? What happens in the life that we live and the ups and downs that come with it? Well, part of it is that God says he knows the plans that he has for us. They're for good and not for evil to give us a future and a hope. So we Excuse all want me. to have a... Excuse me. Hi. Hey, good morning. McBrainy. It's so good to see you. My goodness, has it been that long? I haven't. What's this? Hi. Are you taking? Okay, I'm good. So nice. You guys look so nice. We haven't talked in a while. I know, like 87 days. But who's counting? I am. You doing good? Okay. Yes, I'm doing well. Well, a little birdie told me that you like peanut I butter. I do like peanut butter, yes. And so I thought I'd do a little taste testing okay. because I came up with my own formula okay. that's a little bit more nutritious because I know how you are really right, healthy right. and all that. So, <laughs> okay, so, but why so, is there an A and then an X? What is that? Well, just don't, just, that's okay. Just ignore that. Okay. So let's try this, shall we? Okay, okay. so this is the store-bought, nasty, not-so-good peanut it butter. Looks, it looks pretty good. That yeah, I like how you individually wrap this. Well, this is I good. heard from a little birdie that Appreciate you like that. things that way too. Yeah. Very clean. Okay. So yes, this you don't have to try that much. You know, well, it's not that good for you either. So uh, peanut mm. butter, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Okay. This is good. Okay. It's, it's all right. Yeah. No, this one is good. Okay. Uh, clean your palate now. We have to clean okay. out your palate. Do I eat this? This is my product. Now, <laughs> they say that ninety percent of the peanut butter is supposed to be made up with peanuts. For it to legally be called peanut butter, so that's probably why I had to label it a little different. It's I had to take out some of the other stuff, like peanuts and oil and salt. And, but I added more stuff. Um, it's lumpy. Okay, well, this just it'll be fine. It's more nutritious. Okay. Okay, so let's go. You ready? Yeah. Okay, now this. Take a bigger scoop. It's a big. This is a peanut take butter. A bigger, why so little? It's, Look at it'll it. It'll be good. It'll be good. You, you see? I can tell you like it. You're yeah. processing how much you love it. I can tell. It's kind of getting mixed up with the other one. Let me. Okay. That's a bigger scoop. That's good. See, he loves it. I knew he'd love it. It's very good. And so I added extra calcium and, and fiber and protein and everything else. And I, you know, just took out the other minor stuff that, that is just not needed. I know. Mm -hmm. You can tell. Mm -hmm. Yes, this one. No good. Mm -hmm. Mine. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes, this is. Yeah. This is, what, yeah, it's good. What's, what's in that? It's peanut butter. Mm. Well, I can't technically legally call it peanut butter, but it has a similar ingredients. Did you I know like that frackle. it takes uh, <laughs> like 540 <laughs> peanuts to make a 12-ounce bottle of, mm. of peanut butter? And did you know that, that two peanut farmers were elected president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson and Jimmy Carter? That I did not know, but this thing is horrible. Well, this is good. I know. No, I, no, 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 no. This is horrible. No. I will take it away. And I will send you more of no, my No, no, this, this one is good. It's not so good for your health, though. So this one is better for you as far as uh, taste-wise and nutrition. Okay. Sorry, I got to keep most drinking part, this. Yeah. Are you okay, Pastor Sheldon? I, I can't can tell talk. the joy in your face. This There's is not joy. He loves my peanut butter. He's speechless. You need to define your words better. He's speechless. This is not I joy. Can, well, you know what? I'll have Look at my face. Balls. I know. This is not joy. I know. He's, well, he's I think shock. I'm having an allergic reaction. It's okay. Look, I itchy. You'll be fine. Look, hives. That's why you shouldn't make it. I feel my I'm pulse. So sorry, you shouldn't my have pulse eaten is racing. That's probably what it is. Hang on. But I'll check I can't the even, uh, other My throat is dry, too. Okay. 
Well, I'll hmm. send over a couple of cases to you and your family, and they no, can no, no. enjoy it as I'm well. I'm good with this one. Maybe to some of the congregation people can have the uh, product access. It's a good okay. test. All righty. Yeah, thank oh. you. Bye. Just one more thing, <laughs> Pastor Sheldon. You know, in my research, hmm. you know, I, I came across a word that I thought you would like. It's called archibutyrophobia, <laughs> and it means the fear. I don't think you can say that in church. Archibutyrophobia? Yeah. It's okay. It's called the fear of getting peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth. Isn't that Is that silly? real? <laughs> now, now, now I know what I'm supposed to feel like. That word right there. So I appreciate this test that you did. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, but you can then. take it. Okay. You can take this. Years of you can research. take this. Just the you can take this then. Thank you. Thank you, McBrainy. There you go. Uh, you can have the cracker. You can take that. I, I, I can take this. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. Test, tests like this are good to verify what is good and what is bad. So when it comes to the tests that has to do with spirituality, there needs to be a test. Now, we're going to be talking about this thing called religion today and what religion is correct because you're going to have some type of test like this throughout your entire life when it comes to religion. You're going, you're going to have pushback. You're going to have people ask you what you believe. You're also going to be searching and many of you are searching for what religion is correct. Or people will ask you, how do you know that what you believe is correct? So we're going to look at four questions that hopefully will be able to help us to understand what religion is correct. And if you are taking notes, you can uh, jot down these four questions. Uh, but also, if you have your smartphone and if you have your, uh, your church app, you can take that out too and it will help you to follow along. But more than just what McBrainy just did, sorry, I'm trying to swallow all this peanut butter, uh, but more than just taking a test, it's all about what do you believe? Because we, all, we have to believe something. And, and there needs to be some type of test to let us know that what we believe in is accurate. And so we're going to look at four areas, and if you want to put this in your notes already, the first one is our origin. Like, where did we come from? Origin. Where did we come from? Why are we here? How do we even exist? The second one is meaning. What does my life mean? What is the meaning of life? And is there a meaning when it comes to life? Then there comes morality. Let's see. Morality, right and wrong. How do we know what is right and wrong? Who determines that? Does someone just tell you what is right and wrong? Or does the laws determine what is right and wrong? Or do the laws tell us what is right and wrong? And then destiny. Destiny. Uh, where are we going? Where are we heading? Where, is, where, is, where, where do we go after we die? What's our destiny? Because if we have a destiny, if we're going somewhere, then what does that look like? Okay, so these four questions have to be answered. Origin. Where am I from? Meaning. Morality and destiny. These four questions are the components that has to do with your religious belief and what you think. So whenever we have these types of questions, it has to be tested somehow. When my son Jordan was about nine years old, ten years old, I remember one day he was just asking me questions about God. And he was a little bit troubled, and so I was, I was thinking, what is he trying to say? What is he getting at? And finally, he said, Dad, how do we know that heaven is real? And I said, well, 
first of all, the Bible tells us that it is. He goes, yeah, but what if, what if when we die, there is no heaven? And I'm thinking, well, there better be one because this is, what, this is what I believe. Like, where do we go after we die? So I bought him a DVD. He and I watched it together. And, and it was about a man who said that heaven is real. He had visited heaven and have come back to this earth. And I thought, you know, as strange as that was, it began a journey for us to really discover that heaven is a real place, that God created us for eternity and has a place called heaven waiting for us, for those who believe in him. So then when it comes to a belief, how do you get there? What, what, what tests can we bring to God and even the Bible itself to say what religion is correct? So there are actually five tests that we can do, and I'll do it as in a subheading, that there must have logical consistency. In other words, your argument, your claim, whatever you're claiming, it, it, it has to have some rationale to it. There must be, it must be consistent at the same time. And then, not only logical consistency, but empirical adequacy. So it, there, there must be the evidence to back up what you're claiming, and, and it must be adequate. It can't just be because I feel like it, but there must, it, it, it has to back up your claims in answering these four questions. And then the third test is that experiential, experiential, sorry about my spelling, it's not autocorrect. So experiential, yeah, relevance. Oh, is it, is it spelled wrong? Relevance. That's a C and an E together. I just did it one time real quickly. So experiential, why does that look wrong? Experiential. <laughs> you guys can correct it on your notes and then tell me after. Kylo High School, baby. Okay, so uh, logical, empirical, and experiential. And then it must be, it must correspond. And then, is that how you spell correspond? Why is it? See this generation technology. And then, so it must have correspondence, and then it, ha it must all cohere. In other words, every argument that is said and stated, every test, must cohere with one another. It cannot be inconsistent. There can be no discrepancies. So the, these tests, these five tests to these four questions, all must make sense. So whenever you have a belief system or some type of religious belief, Use these five tests to test origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And I guarantee you, not all religions will be the same. Because some people say, but aren't all religions the same? Don't all religions lead to God? No, they don't. Some people think, well, isn't it true that fundamentally they're all different, but then on the surface, aren't they all the same? No, it's actually the other way around. Fundamentally, every religion is different. Superficially, on the surface, they kind of look the same. But they're not. They're all different. For instance, if some of you may have had this background, Buddhism, or maybe you still believe in Buddhism. Buddhism is not even a, a so-called God belief system. It's non-theist. There's, there's just no belief in God. In fact, Gautama Buddha, he, he was born a Hindu and then denounced the Hindu religion to find his own way and so he, he wanted to find nirvana, 
the true happiness or the meaning of life or, or to get to a place in a state of mind where you have complete uh, happiness, free from desire and, and free from, from wanting. But in the end, if you put these to the test, they, they just don't correspond. So at the basic foundation, not all religions are correct. The Quran actually says in Islam that Jesus Christ did not actually die on the cross. It appeared he died on the cross, but he didn't. So fundamentally, completely different. It is the only historically documented claim that says that Jesus did not die on the cross. The Quran. The Roman, uh, Roman historians say that Jesus died on the cross. Jewish historians say that Jesus died on the cross. Christian historians say that Jesus died on the cross. Pagan historians believe that Jesus died on the cross. So not all religions are the same. Mormonism is completely different. They believe that you become a God, but God says there is no other God but me. Jehovah's Witness, completely different. They believe in a different system of beliefs. They don't believe in the Trinity or God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They believe Jesus was created, that he was a created being, and that Jesus is, the, is Michael the archangel. So there are different beliefs and there are different fundamental values to the beginnings of what is now what we see today. And some would, would say that, no, 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 we're all the same. We all believe in Jesus. Mormonism believes that God is not a spirit, that he has a body like ours. But the Bible tells us that God is spirit. So not all religions believe the same. Jehovah's Witness believe that 144,000 people, only 144,000 people will make it to heaven. Everybody else is going to live on earth. So there is a different belief system from the very beginning. Not all religions believe the same thing. But when it comes to Christianity, Judeo-Christianity, which is the Old Testament and New Testament belief, that when that is tested, when Jesus Christ himself is put to this test, he passed every single test. When you think of logical consistency, every argument that you can have of Jesus saying who he was and, and who he claimed to be is consistent. When it comes to empirical adequacy, that the argument and what you're claiming to argue about is adequate enough, there is so much proof of what Jesus did, what he said he was going to do, and what he did that came to pass as Bible prophecy all lined up perfectly is evidence enough that who he is who he claimed to be. Think about hundreds of years of prophecy, Jesus fulfilling every single one of them. That's empirical adequacy that we can find. And then when it comes to experiential relevance, I think for many of us, we've experienced the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. That's why we still worship him. That's why we gave our life to him, because we've experienced something, something someone cannot take away. They can do whatever they want. They can, they can ridicule you. They can say negative things about you, but it doesn't take away the experience that you have with your life with Jesus Christ. And everything corresponds. Everything coheres. And everything that Jesus said he was going to do came to pass. Everything. The way he was born, the way he was conceived, his life, the death, and the resurrection. He understood everything he needed to become. Now, some people might argue, and they might say, but what about all the religions of the world? You cannot study all the religions of the world and say which one is right, which one is wrong, because there are over 3,000 religions of the world. But really, you can break them down into three categories when it comes to the religions of the world. The first one is that they, 
They believe that there is a God, but only God exists. That everyone is God. Everything is God. The second one is just the universe exists. And therefore, you have uh, atheism, you have pantheism, you have uh, just non-belief because just the universe exists. And then you have where you have God and the universe. And this is where Christianity comes in, uh, uh, Judaism, Islam, it all falls under God and the universe because we believe that there is a God who created us and created everything that we see. So you don't need to study all the religions of the world because they fall into these three categories. If you were to study just one religion of the world, it will take you a lifetime, but you can break them down into these categories. And when you do that, it helps you to understand what you believe as well as people searching for something to believe in. Because what may happen is people are searching for, oh, I want this part of this religion because that fits my lifestyle, but I don't want that part of that religion because that's kind of weird. But I'll take this part of that religion because it makes me feel good. And so they take bits and pieces in the hopes that they're correct at the end. It's almost like a just-in-case, when I die, I want to make sure I get to where I'm supposed to, so I'll just believe in everything. That's, that's as, almost as smart as getting a plane ticket, not knowing where you're going, standing in the middle of the airport saying, okay, whatever plane is going to leave in the correct destination that I hope that it's going to go, that's the one I'm going to be on. Like, how do you even know? You better be more consistent than that. You better put this ticket to the test. And that's what these tests are. It's to test. Test what the Bible says. Test what God says. Test other religions if you're involved in other religions. Because they're, they're not all the same and they don't lead to the same thing. But we have to answer these questions. And some of us try our very best to believe in something. But a worldview is not built on just one decision. It's actually built on a series of decisions and a series of events that take place. It's all connected in series of arguments. In fact, when it comes to the life of Jesus, just think of all the things he needed to do. All the prophecies pointing to his life, his birth, the death, the resurrection, everything that he was going to do, what his name would be called, and where he was going to be born, how he would lead, how he would die, the resurrection from the dead, and then to remember that the books of the Bible were not written by one author. 66 books written by 40 different authors that point all to Jesus Christ, that point to God himself. That everything relates to who Jesus is and who he said he was going to be. Forty different authors. You, you can't manufacture this. When the disciples came to know Jesus, they came to know him as his life and then the death and then resurrection. But as they were following him, when he went to the cross, it's like everything fell apart. And so they too scattered but then when he rose from the grave and they saw him and witnessed his body resurrected from the grave, they all believed. There's a man by the name of Paul the Apostle who came to Jesus in reverse fashion. He didn't come to Jesus like how the disciples did where it was, it was life, death, resurrection. Paul came to know Jesus Christ in the resurrected form. And Paul was a scholar. He knew what he was doing. His name was Saul, but then he was converted and changed his name to Paul. 
because he met Christ and there was a life transformation. So when he came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, he said, wait a minute, I understand the resurrection, but I need to learn about the cross. I need to learn the death and life of Jesus Christ. He came to know Jesus in reverse fashion. And Paul the Apostle was one who was actually against Jesus Christ. So if there's someone who would want to claim that Jesus was a fake or false, it would be Paul the Apostle. Because that was his whole, his whole mission, was to put Christianity to death. But when he met the risen Savior, he said, wait a minute, this is accurate. And it lined up with everything, every test that he could put. And so he, he wanted to learn about the life of Jesus Christ and wrote one-third of the New Testament. Paul writes one-third of the New Testament. Talk about empirical adequacy. Paul was the one who would claim that. And Paul actually stood at the feet of those who uh, would collect the clothing from a man by the name of Stephen who was martyred for Jesus Christ because Paul was putting Christians to death. So Paul was someone who would actually be a good spokesperson for the claims of Jesus Christ because he was trying to deny Christ. But when he met Jesus, he knew for sure through all of these tests that Jesus is who he said he was and he lived the life that was prophesied about him. See, this dramatic life transformation in Paul's life takes place because of this experiential relevance, this one event that took place in his life changed his entire life. When Jesus was asked, how are you going to rise from the grave? You know what Jesus could have said? He could have said, I'm going to rise from the grave in spirit. And no one could disprove him. He could have said, I'm going to rise from the grave in spirit. And how, how would they prove that he did or didn't rise from the grave? But Jesus said, you know what? I am going to bodily rise from the grave. In other words, if someone wanted to prove Jesus that he was wrong and he was a fake, all they needed to do was produce his body after he was buried in the tomb. That's all they had to do. Simple. Just produce the body. But here, here's the problem. Jesus said he was going to bodily rise. So the Roman government, they, they thought, wait a, wait a minute, if he said he's going to bodily rise, we better seal up the tomb. So make sure, okay, put him in the tomb. Okay, he's in the tomb. Put this huge stone over it and then set two guards, the best guards that we have, set them over the tomb so that the disciples don't come at night and steal his body and then claim that he rose from the grave. All they had to do was produce Jesus' body. But we know that three days later he rose from the grave as he said he would. And they could not produce a body. Why? Because he rose in bodily form. The actual story that goes on to this day with some religions is they say, well, he didn't really die on the cross and rise from the grave. The disciples stole his body. Now let's just think about this for a moment. When Jesus died on the cross, all the disciples fled except for John. They all fled. Judas, one of the disciples, hung himself. So it was a pretty intense time. It wasn't like they were saying, hey, 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 let's go get the body of Jesus Christ. Where, where, where is it? It's in the tomb. There's only two Roman soldiers there. No, they fled. They were running for their lives. In the book of Acts, they said that the disciples and the believers were hiding behind closed, locked doors. So there's no way possible they're going to gather together and say, okay, let's... Let's conjure up some plan. How are we going to do this? Oh, you distract the guards. And if he throws his sword at you or cut your head off, we are going to keep going in. No, they're not going to. Why would they do that? These are Roman guards. 
This is not just some security guard that's going to kind of talk story with you. No, these are Roman guards that will kill you if you come near. But the Bible says that these two guards, these two Roman guards, fell as dead men when the angel of the Lord appeared and moved the stone. When the women came to the tomb on the third day to, to visit Jesus and, and to bring some, some fragrant oil, they noticed that he was gone. They run and tell the disciples because they see the resurrected form of Christ. And Jesus says, go tell my disciples and Peter that I have risen. Well, they run to the disciples and tell the disciples what has happened. The disciples run to Jesus. Now, there is one disciple that doubted. We know him as Thomas. Now, Thomas is the one that said, you know what, if... If I, if I can touch his hands and see the wounds and touch the side where they pierced him with a spear, then I will believe. But until then, I won't believe. In other words, he was saying, I need to put this to the test. Well, Jesus shows up in the room and Thomas is there and Jesus shows himself to all of his disciples and, and Jesus says, here, Thomas, touch, touch my wounds. Touch my wounds. Feel. And then feel the piercing in my side. Thomas does and he says, oh, Lord, Help my unbelief. And I think many of us still have that unbelief. When Peter and the disciples ran to the tomb, he was not in there. Why? Because he bodily rose from the grave. See, when you put Jesus to the test, he passes them all. And the fundamental difference you see in the life of Jesus, his uniqueness, the credibility that he has, and exclusivity of his claim that he is who he said he was going to be, That when we embrace that truth, the truth that he gives to all of us, the purity of his life, the perfection of his life, the death and resurrection, everything that he said, it causes us to understand that it's more than a religion. That God didn't come to bring a religion. He came to build a relationship with us. That's why Jesus came. And when Jesus pierced through religion, he came straight to our hearts. That's what he does. He doesn't need a religion for us to believe in him because it's a relationship. He uses his very own life because all truth is exclusive. Every truth is exclusive, which means you can't, whoever believes in whatever truth they believe in, they don't want to add anything in unless it it corresponds with what they believe. But when it comes to Jesus, he proved the truth that he was stating, and it was exclusive. And we may think, but what about other religions are they, do they claim exclusivity? Absolutely. But how do we know which one is correct? You put, the, you put it to the test. You must. So how do we, when it comes to unveiling the truth behind what religion is correct, how do we, how do we continue to live in a world full of different beliefs and continue on with what we believe in? Well, I, I, I know this, that every single one of us can unveil the truth behind what religion is correct by answering these four categories with those five tests. And so when it comes to morality, origin, meaning, and destiny, God gives us his word to help us. And the first thing, origin, why am I here, is a question that has to be answered. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible tells us that, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, He created him, male and female, he created them. In other words, God created you and I. 
it's more than just a scientific thought. It's actually a biblical truth in God creating us. Now, if we take a look at our life and how we were made, our DNA and everything inside of us and how we were created, it's, it's intelligently designed. And anytime you find some type of intelligent design, how this was made, how this bottle was made, how this phone was made, you know that there is a creator behind it. You don't explain a dictionary by saying, oh, the printing press exploded, that, that, so you have a dictionary. No, it doesn't happen that way. There's intelligent design behind it. And so it is with us. That there is intelligence behind our creation, intelligence, and God is the creator. I remember my oldest son, Jay, he's 28, 29, okay. Uh, he was probably about maybe seven, maybe even younger. So he, we're, we're, Heidi and I are driving in the car, and he's in the back seat, and he, I don't know where this came from. He goes, hey, hey dad, uh, where do babies come from? I'm like, ah. Uh. Walmart? No, I didn't say that. I, I was like, um, Heidi, where do babies come from? He wants to know. She goes, no. He asked you, where do babies come from? So we tried to explain to him as best as possible for a seven-year-old to understand where babies came from. But we did include that God did create us. Because to understand that God created us helps us to remember how valuable we are. That he created us with meaning and with purpose. Genesis 5.1 says that this is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. He did not make us to be God. He made us to be like himself. The character qualities made in the image of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 24 says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So if you want to think of origin and why you're here, first of all, God created us to be like Him. That's why for all of us, we have some form of creativity in us. You, you like art, you like sports, you, you, you like cooking, you like baking. You, there's something in you that wants to create. Now you might be thinking, well, I don't do anything creative. Yes, you do. You just don't realize you do because you're created in his image. And he gives you meaning. He gives you value, which is our second question. Well, what brings me meaning? God does. He's the one that gives you value, not someone else, not how much money you have, not how you dress, not how many followers you have or likes. It's God himself. He gave you that value. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, he's saying walk in the value that he's given to you. You're not, you're not living your life and your value system based on what someone else values you as. You, you live this life based on how much God values you. Regardless of how someone thinks of you, what they say about you, or what you do in life, your value never changes because God never does. So your value is always in Him. Psalm 139 verse 14 says that, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. You are a marvelous work. Did you know that? Just tell someone next to you, you are a marvelous work. Let them know that you are a marvelous work work not only it's sarcastic about it it's like oh you 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 some piece of work no you 
don't get sarcastic about this. They're a marvelous work. And if you're not here with someone, I'm letting you know you are a marvelous work. God created you in a marvelous way. And your soul knows that very well. That's why when Jesus comes into your heart, it coheres. There's a connection. It corresponds with everything you believe. Because you're that valuable. God treasures you. Heidi and I were at a pawn shop, and Heidi likes, you know, looking for antiques and old things and, you know, that type of uh, uh, thing. So we're at the pawn shop, and there's this one lady shopping in there. And Heidi asks her, she goes, oh, are you looking for anything, you know, special? She goes, no, I just like old things. I like looking for old things. And she tells Heidi, oh, are you looking for anything special? Did you find your treasure? Heidi says this. She goes, no, because I already found my treasure in Sheldon. I was like, what? I buy everything in this place for her right now. But then I was thinking, wait a minute, did she mean old things? I was wondering, did she mean old things? But what I realized is that everyone's looking for some type of treasure. Everyone's looking for value somewhere. And sometimes even in our own, in our own lives, we want to feel valued. We want to be treasured. And God says, you are my treasure. I treasure you that much. That's why I died for you so that you could be with me for all of eternity. That's God's heart. He wants to spend eternity with every single person. What about when it comes to right and wrong, morality? Who declares that? Well, God did. Because if there's moral law, then there is a moral law giver. And that moral law giver is God. And sometimes we base right and wrong on how we feel. If that's the case, then, then anything can be right or wrong. You drop something on the ground, pick it up, that's wrong. But some of you say, well, it's a five-second rule. That's not really morality. It's just someone's judgment. Like some of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but some of you, you, you believe in the five-second rule. You drop something on the ground, you pick it up. Now, my rule, my rule of thumb is if you drop something on the ground, if it's sticky and wet, absolutely no five-second rule. It is let it go. But there are some things I will pick up, like bacon. If bacon falls on the ground, I'm picking that thing up. I'm picking it up. I'm sorry. Lihing mui, I can pick that up. And then the marshmallows from Lucky Charms, I got to pick that up. There's no way I'm letting a Lucky Charm marshmallow go to waste. Now, that's not really moral right or wrong. That's just how you feel. But when it comes to morality, someone needs to be the lawgiver. The moral lawgiver, and that's God himself. Even people who don't believe in absolute morality are believing in absolute morality by stating that they have the freedom to choose to say there is no such thing as absolute morality. See, when it comes to the religious beliefs of the world, sometimes we just pick and choose what makes us feel good. But God says, nope, here's where I come in. I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments to let you know what is right and wrong. And Jesus came on the scene and he said, I'm not going to abolish the Ten Commandments. I'm going to fulfill them. So Jesus put it on a higher playing field. He said, the, the, you know that the law says you shall not commit adultery, right? Yes, Well, I'm letting you know that if you've already committed adultery in your heart or if you looked at a woman with lust in your heart, another woman, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. What Jesus was saying is it's a heart issue, not a law issue. That's not about what religion is is correct. Here's the heart. And what Jesus was trying to emphasize was if you keep following laws, rules, regulations, you're going to make up other laws, rules, and regulations to justify the ones that you're breaking. So he said, no, 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 here it is. It's the heart. Whatever's in your heart is going to come out. That's what the Bible tells us. Mark chapter 7, 
Verse 20, Jesus says, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. That's why Peter could record in 1 Peter 1.15, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. That's God letting us know what kind of God he is. That he is so loving that he's going to let us know what is right and wrong, but he's also going to give us a way back to him when we do what is wrong. Because we have a destiny. Where are we heading? Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now, for some of us in our life, we made some mistakes. We've done some things that we're not proud of, things that still cause us to feel guilt and shame. And even in that, even in, even in our destiny, God would say, you know what? Even the way you feel right now and what you're going through, I can, I can help you even in that state that you feel right now. And he says, I can even cause, in Romans 8.28, I can even cause all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to my purpose. You know what he's saying? There's not one thing you and I could ever do that would ever make God not love you. There's not one thing that you and I could ever do that would separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, we can reject him, but it still doesn't change the fact that he will constantly love us. That's why we can always come back to him. Why? Because he loves us and he works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. He's given us a destiny. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 tells us, For God has not destined us for wrath but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the Bible is telling us? Because I think for some of us, we think God is just out to get me. He's going to punish me. I've done some wrong things, so I better go to church every week. I better, I better repent. I better, I better ask for forgiveness every single day because, boy, God is going to punish me. God did not destine us for wrath. In fact, if you're thinking God is going to punish you, just remember this. He already took out the punishment on his son, Jesus Christ, That we deserved. That's why he died on the cross. So that you and I could continue in the destiny that God first created us for. And that was to be with him forever. We're all going to come to a place in life that we're going to question things. Use these tests when it comes to what we believe. Because God came to give us a relationship. Not a religion. Jesus is greater than any religion, and he can come into any heart at any given time so long as they ask. And when he does, we give him our life in exchange for the one he has for us. There's a story about a, a traveler who's going through the desert, and as he's going through the desert, he's dying of thirst because all of his water ran out. So all of his, his the, the bottles, hydro flasks, everything empty. Well, he comes to this one pump. There's a metal pump in the middle of the desert. So finally he's thinking, yes, I got water. Comes to the pump, and he tries to pump it. But as he's pumping, all he hears is metal against metal. And no water is coming out. And he's trying, he's trying, but to no avail. Well, he sees a tin can on this pump, and, and he looks inside. There's no water, but there is a note in there. 
And the note reads this. Do not despair. There is enough water to feed you and everyone else. There is a bottle of water buried right in front of this pump. Follow these instructions well, and you will thirst no more. Dig up that bottle. Pour the entire bottle in the cylinder. And as you do so, pump the pump because you need to prime the pump in order for the waters to come up. And when you do, you will have refreshing water. Then it said, warning. You will be tempted to drink this water because you're dying of thirst. Do not drink the water from the bottle. Use it as your source to get more water, lest you thirst again and everyone else who passes by. And when you're done, please fill up that water bottle and bury that water bottle for the next passerby. And I think sometimes that's what happens in our world today with all of the different belief systems and the world religions, the world views. We get so tempted to just take this one and drink it. And it doesn't satisfy our soul. So we'll look for another one. We'll drink that one. Never satisfies our soul. Jesus says, how about you pour out your life into mine and I will give you rivers of living water that you will thirst no more. You will be satisfied. And everyone around you will see a life that is quenched of a thirst that only I can quench because I know your origin. You mean something to me. I died for you when you did wrong because your destiny is to be with me forever in heaven. Jesus is bigger than religion. He is all about a relationship with you and I. He's personal, and he likes it that way. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads for a moment. Heavenly Father, this morning is a, a time for us to really sift through some things, and although a lot to think about, really it comes down to your relationship with us and ours with you. That in everything you have taught us and everything you have said in your word, we can put it to a test. And it will always come out accurate when it comes to you. I know there are some this morning, Lord, that maybe they've been searching. Maybe they've been thirsting. Maybe they've been looking for something to satisfy their soul. We know it's you, Lord. And so I pray for anyone here this morning, if you're saying, you know what, I, I want Jesus to come into my heart. I want to give my life to him in exchange for the life that he has for me. If that's you, would you just lift a hand real briefly and you're just saying, I want Jesus to come into my life. I want to give him my, my life right now. Yeah, God sees your hand. He absolutely sees you. He hears your prayers. Yeah, God sees you right here, right there. Yeah, God bless you right there. God sees you. God bless you right here, right here, right there. Yeah, back there. God sees you. He knows your prayers. He hears your heart. He knows your destiny. Okay, you can put your hands down. As we pray this prayer together, especially for those who are saying yes to Jesus, it's a, it's a prayer called salvation that you're saying, I want to surrender my life to yours. And then he will give you a brand new life. And maybe for all of us, we can say this prayer together as a reminder of how good Jesus is to once again declare his righteousness and maybe just to say how thankful we are to him 
In fact, if you're a believer and just in response, you're just saying, Lord, I am thankful for this relationship with you. Would you just lift a hand and you're just saying, I am thankful for this relationship that I have with you, Lord. Yeah, all of us, Lord, absolutely. Let's put our hands down and let's pray this prayer together. And for those who are saying this for the first time, although I'll be saying the words, you just include the heart. And here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the grave to give me eternal life. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I trust you with my life. And I thank you for showing me the way. In Jesus' name I pray. And we all said together, amen.